Hey guys, I'm Jackie Brubaker, your host of That Girl, the podcast. I'm an author, performer, two-time Emmy Award winner, human relationship specialist, and founder of the wellness website, loveyouevenmore.com. Each week, I bring on inspiring people and experts in their field to have powerful, motivational, and enlightened conversations about relationships, self-development, and how you can live your most authentic life. Welcome, Robin Stern, to That Girl, the podcast. Robin is a licensed clinical social worker, and she is going to talk to us all about her personal journey and the journey she goes on with others about body dysmorphia disorder. And it's something I know a lot of women have struggled with in different you know, levels of how severe it is, and also men. So welcome, Robin, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I love getting the opportunity to have a platform to speak about this and to educate people and to, you know, be a voice of something that definitely took from me and I know takes from a lot of other people. And so I just am very grateful to be here today and speak and have this conversation. Thank you. Yeah. So let's first of all explain what body dysmorphia disorder is. It is in the DSM-5. It is, you know, something that... I think a lot of people think they know what it is or they know what it is, but can we just give a good definition of what it is? Absolutely. So, you know, BDD, that's kind of like the acronym or body dysmorphic disorder, um, is a OCD spectrum disorder in a DSM-5, but it is considered where a person has a minimal or non-existent defect in their appearance where no one else sees it. So, you know, I think the hard part with this disorder is that I mean, while a lot of people do struggle with body image and a lot of people struggle with how they perceive themselves to look and how they see and how others see them, BDD essentially is someone who actually doesn't really have anything wrong with their perceived body part. But to them, they see it so distortedly and it causes so much significant pain in their life where it it impacts their level of functioning. And so... You know, I know a lot within like social media and media talks a lot about everybody having it. And while I believe everybody struggles with body image a hundred percent, and I want to validate that I really do. And I think, I don't know, I think the, the true BDD definition right now is two to 3% of the population. It's probably um, underrepresented because most people are going to cosmetic doctors or dermatologists or plastic surgeons, but I would say that the true definition of BDD is, 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 you know, is not every single person probably deals with body image concerns on some degree, but BDD is a little bit more pervasive and we can get into kind of the different ventilation of it and how, you know, maybe social media contributes to it and just kind of the appearance focused world we're in. And will that change where people lie within that? Awesome. Let's, I think you made such a strong point about people having body image, you know, problems. Let's talk about that first, because I think that most people do, especially with social media and everything you mentioned about doctors, plastic surgery, dermatologists, fillers, all of that stuff. Um, let's talk about that first and then we can get more into BDD because that is a, you're right. I mean, of course you're right, but it is under OCD (laughs) and OCD is something that people also kind of flippantly say here and there like, oh, I have such OCD. 
No, girl, right. you probably don't. <laughs> and if you yeah. did, you wouldn't be so gingerly about it. You know, just like, oh, I have it. Like it's a, it's a very real disorder and it's not fun. Right. And I think, you know, that's initially like my passion, like, because, you know, having body dysmorphic disorder, you know, and I'm 42 and being diagnosed for 20 years and seeing what body image, you know, how people navigate that. I think, you know, I have kind of taken on initially like, oh, I didn't like that people were using it, overusing it, especially like people with OCD. But I really want to like, let's speak to body image for a second and say that I would say probably majority of people, both men, women, people across the gender spectrum will at some point in their life struggle with body image concerns to some degree or another. And I think in, we do live in an appearance obsessed world, like beyond, I think any other time I age myself, but I'm going to tell you that 20 something years ago, like we just did not live in this world where we had such access to things. Mm -hmm. And so I want to speak to that. You know, I think what causes so much distress for people just even with body image issues is this idea of perfection, right? And these notions of filtering and Photoshopping. And I have spoken on a previous podcast and I used to feel super strong, like for positive body image, like we should not filter, we should be openly honest. And I know that comes from a place within me as someone with BDD who would never filter their photo because that's the exact opposite of what I feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. But I think what I would like people to understand who struggle with body image is that when they go on social media, just be aware of what you're looking at and take it with a grain of salt. And I know it's really, really hard. Um, and I think people compare themselves, whether it's their skin or their body size or their shape or various features, men, women, again, all across the gender sector. And remember, most likely you're not looking at real images. And I know that's, and I've just, I used to fight it and be like, why are people doing this? I'm trying hard to understand. But then I realized like, that's my body dysmorphic disorder, not understanding why people want to put like altered images because people with body dysmorphic disorder, their biggest fear is being perceived as a catfish. So mm -hmm. for me, the notion that somebody would want to alter themselves where I wouldn't recognize them on the street. I couldn't understand. So I've stopped fighting that and wanted, because I know people are going to use filters and I know they're going to do Photoshop, but I think that people that have body image concerns need to be aware of this mm -hmm. and need to be aware that most people are using apps on their, you know, their phone to alter themselves or, you know, using a ton of, you know, makeup and contouring and, and such. And again, nothing is wrong. And I feel like I, I don't want to come across as being judgmental. This is the society we live in. But I get concerned when people start to feel bad about themselves and start to feel like I am not enough and I need to change what it is that I look like for what I see. And guess what? Those people don't look like that either. So, you know, I think what has caused so much concern with body image is just the access we have to things. You know, back in the day, I don't think we, we had magazines and we had TV, but guess what? TV wasn't altered. If you go back and look at like television programs from 30 years ago or movies, like there was a lot of, you know, um, imperfections in people and things that were more obvious. And in today, everything is like blurred out television, you know, obviously social media and just think, so it's so different. Cause I look back at like old school, like TV shows and it's just the quality and what we're looking at is so different. So it's a scary place to be today, but it's about educating 
and people knowing, okay, this is what it is. It's sort of like an art form. And it's funny, like it goes into like that AI picture. I don't even know, did we need that? Because I think people already use that. Like they already kind of morph into that already. And again, I don't want to tell people not to do it. I think it's coming from a place as someone who deals with this with clients and obviously struggles myself and has struggled. I just know what it is that I'm looking at. And I want people to understand that a healthy body image is embracing and accepting your individuality. We're not all supposed to look one way and that, you know, um, social media and all these things make us feel this way, but it's not always the healthiest thing. And so just being aware of that and again, enjoy filtering, enjoy these apps, but enjoy what they really are. Like, so I would say mostly like the big thing is if you look at the word body dysmorphia, you would almost nine, nine out of 10 times assume it's body image, yeah. not the true diagnosis. Right. Cause the I true think. diagnosis, you wouldn't necessarily see a face to it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Somebody said it to me, you're going to be the face to And I was like, I never saw it that way. But most people who have this disorder are not speaking. The, the person with BDD is not going to sit there and talk about it. Like yeah. it has taken me so long to be able to have this conversation. You are not going to see people with BDD stand up and say, I have it. it we, are, we are so far from that. And the disorder is so shameful that anybody that's probably talking about it probably doesn't really have it because most people are so ashamed and do not want anybody to know. And so I never even thought, I've actually never shared that part. And I, and that's the biggest difference. Most people are not going to hashtag themselves body dysmorphia. Beautifully, beautifully put. I have so many thoughts. Um, I think, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is the deep fake, right? Which is everything you're talking about with filters and people, you know, literally chopping themselves out of a picture and putting them in another location as deep as that. But really when you are taking, you know, Facetune or whatever app you're using and you're just going overboard, there's, this actually happened to me. So, uh, one of my girlfriends, we all went to a wedding and she's like, Oh, I'll send your picture, you know, our pictures to you. And she sent the pictures we took to me. And I looked at myself and was like, I, I don't, I look so, I, diff, I look different and I was kind of at a distance too, but it was enough, it was close enough to be like, does my smile really look like that? And I looked good, but it was like, something's not right. And she's like, no, I'm like, did you do anything? And she's like, no, I'm like, yes, you did. I showed the picture to multiple people at my work. I was like, does that look like me? And they're like, yeah, that's what you look like. And it was such a mind fuck because she did use an app I found out later and was like, okay, all right, (laughs) that is what is up. And it just, it really, um, it really messed with my head. Cause I seriously, the first thing I thought was, do I not see myself correctly? Like, am I, am I having a really severely distorted view of myself? Luckily I wasn't. And I was like, okay, thank God. Um, but then also with that, you know, you do see yourself with a filter looking a certain way. And then that it instantly makes you feel like, oh, I wish I looked like that. You know, wish my face was that thin or this or that or whatever it was. Like I remember in the picture thinking, oh, my face looks so thin and my smile looks so big and everything looks so it's just like kind of perfectly proportioned. Like that's nice. But, you know, I am who I am. We are who we are. So Absolutely. when I do think about filters, I mean – Listen, I'm in my early 40s. I am 41. And sometimes I know you're not. Mm -hmm. I would never. I thought you were in your 20s. 
Oh, thanks, girl. Thanks, girl. You too. You too. We both look very young for our age, people listening. Um, <laughs> but like, honestly, I will, the only thing I'll ever kind of do is whiten my teeth because that's fine. I will whiten my teeth in a picture and I'll kind of blur out like my crow's feet or something. Cause I don't get Botox on a very regular basis. So it just pops right back up and I'm like, eh, I'm going to, I'm going to take that away. That to me, I'm okay with because whatever, you know what? I'm a little, I'm just, it's a little thing. But when, yeah, when people are truly altering their bodies and all over the place, and it's like, they're an avatar of themselves on social media. That's a whole other situation. Yeah. And again, I'm going to just, you know, I think what comes back to me is, you know, yes, I think people with body image and but people with body dysmorphic disorder, like I said, even before the word like catfish came, that's kind of essentially like, I remember back in the day, like I would be like, Oh, like, I don't, I, I don't want people to see me a certain way or will they see this? And so actually people always ask, will people with body dysmorphic disorder like filter their photos? And I'm going to tell you this people with body dysmorphic disorder are the least likely to filter their photo. They are more likely to be honest because their biggest fear, which is already exists before filtering is that people aren't going to think they look like what they look like. So I always came from this notion of I'm not understanding why you choose to look like an avatar. I'm not understanding the cartoon character. But what was interesting, and again, I think if you hit upon body image concerns, then I think it affects you. But I noticed that a lot of people seem totally fine. Like they'll put this very skewed photo of them and then walk into the world completely different looking and it doesn't seem to phase them. And I'm just yeah. like, is it all? I guess it's all about the likes though. Maybe in the moment it feels good, but on some level, don't you realize you don't look like that? Like, and again, I think it comes back to we're all looking for the likes, but are we, are, you know, when, when I'm dealing with people with body image issues or body dysmorphic disorder, you know, the thing is, is we are more than just your appearance. And that's where we need to go. We have to have worth outside of that. So when mm-hmm. we are just like posting these photos of our images and they are altered and we are just getting a hundred and 200 and 300 likes, what is that reinforcing about yourself? Because it's yeah. not even you. And it's, and I, I again, I, I've, I've, I've stopped kind of being that person of being like, stop filtering, be natural. Because the last podcast I was on, she was like, I feel like we shouldn't judge. And I kind of, I started to pull back and be like, I don't want that to be my platform where I judge it, but I want people that have struggle to understand then that when they're going on these platforms, please just be wary of what you're looking. Like I essentially just assume everyone is filtered at this point. Isn't that sad that I just assume this, that's a healthy way for me to kind of navigate. I just assume that what I'm looking at is probably not natural. And this way I don't fall into this trap of, I want to compare myself. So I think that's like a suggestion for people that struggle with body image or struggle with even body dysmorphic disorder or eating disorder is like, just make that assumption. Most likely what you're comparing yourself to is not a valid, accurate image and probably altered in some way or form. I completely agree with that. I really do. Um, I also feel very deeply about, I've always been like this too, um, in regards to like dating, but even just your public persona, whether, you know, out running errands or, you know, whatever. I'm really a big, a big like advocate of like showing someone what, like, let's just talk about dating in general. Like 
showing whoever you're dating what you look like for real, like without makeup pretty early on, because that's really you, you know, like makeup's right. lovely and hair is lovely and all that thing. But like, really, like at the end of the day, like you're with that person minus all of the glitz and glamour. You're with that person. And so I do that really early on on purpose because I want to be like, okay, this is me. And by the way, this is what I'm going to look like most of the time you're with me. I'm not going to always have like makeup and hair done. I'm going to be in like casual clothes or sweats or whatever. And like, I get, um, you know, I've, uh, hmm, I have thoughts about this. Um, I just feel like, you know, there's so much pressure put on women specifically. And let's just talk about women right like first to look beautiful all the time, you know, through social media, through the media, through, you know, growing up, it's like, we have to look beautiful to be liked and accepted and good enough and all of this stuff. And it's really hard for me to swallow because I don't know, like, I think everyone is beautiful no matter what they look like, because that's them. That's like the true essence of them. And so, yeah, like what you're saying about like people with BDD is you know, you, the last thing you want to be is a catfish. I guess, I guess I'm like a little tiny bit confused. Cause I think I understand, but I don't know if I completely understand. But what I think I get is the fact that you just really want to be seen as who you are completely. Well, so the, the problem with BDD is that the person with BDD never sees themselves. And that's what's right. so, so, so ch- challenging with this diagnosis. And I just like posted this on my Instagram. It's one of the goals. And, and one of the, places that I had to come to is I'm never going to know what I truly look like and whether good, bad, or indifferent, if I was to focus on that, I probably wouldn't be here today because it essentially trigger warning. 80% of people with BDD have suicidal ideation and one in four people attempt. So it's a very serious diagnosis and it's not just so essentially a person with BDD like gets very fixated on a person like for me, it was my skin. Mm-hmm. And I would get so fixated that if I had a pimple, it was not just, a, I want to be clear. It just, it felt like it overpowered me to the point where I just felt disgusting. And and pretty much most people with BDD feel very defective and unworthy. Mm-hmm. And so the reason I think, yes, they want to be seen, but they don't know what they look like. But I think their biggest fear is like, I don't ever want to like portray on like a social media image that like I have like that I look like you know like perfect and have and then somebody would see me in real life and be like what's wrong and so I kind of going back to the dating going back to the dating which is funny I I like posted something and then I took it off because I thought I was like all right this was a story and I was just like essentially and it does apply I think more towards women so this is yes this is you know maybe gender specific but I would just make an assumption that a woman is going to be filtered. So just assume you're going to be catfished on any date with a woman unless <laughs> you are to get a video or some kind of unaltered photo because that is the reality. And I agree with you. I'm not really understanding that because we all want to just be ourselves. Yeah. Um, but I think that this this pressure to be perfect and this pressure to be airbrushed um, – is just out there. And it's, 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 you know, yes, one day you're going to have to be seen. And so one day somebody's going to see it and they're going to be like, uh, wait, what? Like, and, and I, and I use this example, um, when I came out, cause I used to live in LA and when I was visiting me, and my mom were seeing a family member and my mom saw the family member 
on Facebook. And when she saw the family member in person, she was like, I did not recognize her. <gasps> and I'm like, wow, mom. And she's like, not at all. And I was like, that's like my case in point. Like yeah. this is some, like, it was just, and again, I don't, I don't know if we're all going to be stepping up into the world. I don't know what the reason is other. And then I just think of the damage it does to other people. Right. So I really respect and honor people that are able to filter their photos and feel great about themselves going out. But think about all the young girls or young boys or anybody out there that is struggling and they see this and they think that this is what you look like. I, I'm, I think it's amazing that people can look a hundred percent different and feel fine. But I, myself, if this was 20 years ago and I saw that I would be very vulnerable to that. And that would have been very hard for me to see. So I think that's where sometimes I feel like some people have a social responsibility depending upon what their platform is, to be honest. And I, I know some people will argue, but it's like, you have to think of people that are struggling. And yes, we can honor and say, people struggling, please be aware and kind of give that caption, like be aware when you go on. But why do we have to do that? Why do we have to give, you know, people that are already struggling have to give them, why can't, I don't understand why we have to do that. I just, I don't know why it's just gotten so much worse too. Cause I don't yeah. feel like filtering existed like 10 years ago. Mm-mm. I mean, I'm 42. Like I don't, yeah, I have a lot of photos that are, have, I don't know when that, that trend just like just went viral. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago. I, I feel okay. like the last four or five years is when it really okay. started to like, yeah. you know, get there. Um, let's talk a little bit more about your personal journey with BDD and how that started for you. Sure. So essentially I was a happy kid um, and, you know, had a brother raised in New York and probably things shifted for me at the age of nine. I went from private school to public school and, you know, while I appreciate my uniqueness and again, I have BDD, so kind of not sure exactly, you know, I don't know. I know that I look different in the sense that I have curly hair and, you know, like I have, you know, my hair is dyed, but I'm naturally brunette and I have like green eyes. And, but growing up, everyone had brown hair, brown eyes. And so I was, I stood out. I stood out as different because I had curly hair. Well, I don't want to say I stood out as different. That's how people made me feel. And I, I just really wanted brown hair, brown eyes. It's funny. As I got older, I appreciate, obviously, the things that I have. But when I was younger, that's all I wanted. And I started being bullied in fourth grade for my hair. And it progressively got worse uh, to the point where my own group of girlfriends started to bully me on a daily basis when I was in seventh grade wow. and sixth grade, seventh grade. And it was really, really bad. Um to the point where it really forever shaped me. And, you know, when people see body dysmorphic disorder, they see the diagnosis and they sometimes don't go back to your trauma history. So I'm going to always say that like my therapist never cared to know what my story was. And obviously as a clinician myself, I've really honored what my path has been. So I understood my diagnosis more and understood why it became what it became and what shape it took on within my life. And so essentially while my hair was what was targeted, that actually wasn't my concern as I got older. And I never fixated on my hair, which is interesting. And and mental health issues are interesting in itself. You can have a predisposition for something and then all of a sudden, like, it doesn't show up that way. So people are always surprised to hear my story because mm-hmm. it's like my story is about being bullied about my hair, but then 
my concern had nothing to do with it. And so essentially for me, probably when I became a teenager, a lot of people struggle with acne and I definitely did. And it was realistic. It wasn't. And, um, but it's interesting because I went on Accutane when I was a freshman in college and I spoke to a friend from college who recently shared with me, like, she just remembers, I asked her what her thoughts were. And she's like, I just remember that you had, you know, like acne freshman year. But then like, after that, you were really beautiful. And I thought that was interesting because my perception was like, the acne never went away. Mm. So I thought it was really interesting that she kind of saw it. And then it was like, non a non-issue. And I'm like, interesting. So essentially, as I got through my years of college, I became kind of obsessed with how my skin looked to the point where I just thought I looked different than other people. And then I didn't realize that it was anything other than I thought it was like, okay, I'm just ugly. I don't look like my other friends. And again, I will say if like you look at pictures of me from college, like I do look different in the sense, not my skin, but like I have curly hair. Like I don't have the exact same features as these people, like brown hair, brown eyes. And again, like I just wanted to fit in so badly, especially after being bullied. Like if I was to show you like my housemates, like I definitely didn't look like every single girl. Is that a bad thing? Not necessarily, but to me, it definitely reinforced feeling different. And so I just always thought that like I was ugly, I was different, I was gross. And I had all these kind of negative thought tapes like running through my head and finally got the diagnosis at 22 that which was after college that I had body dysmorphic disorder. And it was like, oh, I actually self-diagnosed myself at 20 and then brought it to therapists. And they're like, no, you don't have it. And then finally got the confirmation. And so, you know, that was definitely, you know, a little bit validating to have something. But then it was also for me, um, I've actually never publicly shared this, but I, I am one of those people where the diagnosis wasn't that helpful at least initially, because I pretended like I just thought I was this ugly girl. And so I just pretended and lived and I went away to college and I dorms and I went on spring breaks and I had fun and I lived in the city. And then once I had this diagnosis, I was like, okay, like I can check out now. Like I don't need to pretend anymore because I actually have something wrong with me that Mm. says I, and I actually became it. And it took, so it's like, I, was in my life, came out of my life, and then had to re-enter my life. And that's often not the story. And I say that because most people with BDD are relieved to get the diagnosis, and then they start to get better. For me, it was a little bit different. It was was living, didn't realize, got the diagnosis, pulled back from my life, and then had to dive back in. And so, you know, again, everybody's situation is different. There could be people out there that have a similar story to me, but that was kind of my story. And, you know, essentially, you know, throughout at least my early 20s was like about recovery and finding life outside of BDD. And actually, you know, my early 20s, it was in New York. And then I moved to Los Angeles at 24, which is ironic because one of my therapists was just like, how do you have body dysmorphic disorder and live in LA? And I'm just like, actually, never once. And this just goes to show it has nothing to do about where you live. It never triggered me in LA. And it shows that my BDD, which we now know, body dysmorphic disorder, 80% of people have a traumatic history and something that has been a trauma in their life. So for me, getting away from New York, I felt like I could be myself. I left like the bullying, teasing, and I was like living my best life in like the heart of Los Angeles, like Beverly Hills, West Hollywood, like 
never felt triggered, never felt like I needed to do anything to look different. While as a lot of people would just objectively hear LA and they would be like, how and why would you ever go there with the disorder that you have? And I was just like, never triggered once. Not for that reason. I think that's such a good point because that really distinguishes the difference between BDD and body image issues. Like right. LA is a, I've grown up here. It is a hard town to live in. I think it's a little different for natives like myself, but it's still, it's when I go to different States minus New York, well, at least the city, <laughs> you know, it feels more relaxed. People are not staring at you. You don't feel like you're having to be like on parade, um, but in LA, you do. Um, I think that that is a perfect way of seeing the difference between the two. I also think it's really interesting that you, A, wanted to look like all the other girls. I think we all felt that way too. That was just right. so, that's so part of group thing, especially in like middle school, like 11, yes. 12, 13. God, it's yes. such a horrible time. Um, and then leaving New York was, a, you were able to actually feel free. That is true. Sometimes it is just the smallest thing. It, it doesn't seem small, but it is kind of small. Like I just needed to get away from the scene of the crime, period. You know, like I just, right. needed to get right. and the hardest, the, I think for me, the hardest part was I always wanted to come back because my family was here. And I think that's yeah. when I realized like, wow, like I, you know, could, I, I want to be clear. Did I struggle? Yes. And I think BDD is, you take that with you, but I want to be really clear. Did Los Angeles trigger me the city? Not in the least, like yeah. not at all. Did I trigger me? Yes. Did my own body dysmorphic disorder come back up in various ways? Absolutely. Did the people did, you know, because I also feel, and but I haven't been in, in LA lived since 2016. So you can probably speak better to this than me that a lot of the stuff we see on TV, I don't really remember seeing that stuff there. So like, I don't remember seeing people glammed up when I would go to Gelson's or Pavilions or Vons. So I literally remember people in sweats just like me or going yeah. to Trader Joe's and everybody chill. So when I see like Selling Sunset or like Vanderpump Rules and I'm like, I don't know, like I, I lived literally up the street. I don't remember living that. So either that's for TV or it's changed in six years. So no, I, I can't speak to that. It's definitely, I will speak to that. It is for TV kids. It is okay. for, because Selling Sunset films all around my neighborhood. Like it is right. all the time. And no, it is, we are in sweats going to Gelson's. Gelson's is across the street from my house. Literally, I'm in sweats. I look like a homeless person, period. <laughs> um, wait, I wanted to say one more thing. Oh, when you finally got your diagnosis, this is actually something I've I've written about. Um you said that you needed to sort of like you were in your life and you got the diagnosis yeah. and then you had to like kind of like you jumped out and then you had to jump back in. I've always kind of thought about this and I've written about this when people get diagnosed as something, they can instantly feel like more depressed or like something's really wrong with me now. Like now I really know, or they do feel relieved. Um, I think that's interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about sure. what that process was like for you? So it's funny. I've, it's something that I don't speak to a lot. And, and again, it, it's not, I think I would say it to anybody that asks me and especially in, in my stance as somebody who speaks a lot of BDD, but again, most people get comfort in getting the diagnosis. So to hear my perspective sometimes would feel kind of on the opposite end. I would say 
what it essentially happened was that it was like I had to just I had to live with it's not literal voices, but I had these th- these thoughts in my head like I'm disgusting, I'm gross, I'm ugly, I would never get a guy, like I'm not good enough, like all these things like going. 24 seven, like as I'm like in my master's degree, as I'm living in the city, as I'm going out with friends, as I'm trying to find an apartment, like groups of girls, guys, like trying to like navigate dating. And it was like, imagine just first of all, doing all of that, just being a early twenties and like living that life without those thoughts is hard enough. And then you throw those like negative, like intrusive thoughts in and it's exhausting. And so essentially when I got this diagnosis, I was like, okay, I could stop pretending now. Like I, I have, and so that's kind of what I didn't feel depressed. I didn't necessarily, I just almost felt like I could stop the race for a minute. Like I can just be this person who has BDD and a person with body dysmorphic disorder tends to avoid things, tends to not show up. And I would like to do that. Now that's never, ever a good thing. That's everything (laughs) against what I tell clients. But that was my journey. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie about my, my journey. Mm -hmm. It was a small period of time because I immediately went into treatment and I had to undo all of that. But it was the initial response to something where it was just like, okay, I'm good. Like I could just stop for a minute. It was like, you know, it's like someone who's running a marathon. It's like, I'm just going to take a, I'm just going to breathe and I'm going to stop and I'm going to take a break. And were you? That was, that was, you know, me for a moment. Were you running the marathon of trying to work against the the diagnosis or were you running the marathon because you felt like you had to, yeah, like, did you feel like you needed to go against it? Like, no, I'm just going to fight against all these natural inclinations. So at the beginning, the marathon was just like, this is me. I didn't think this was anything. I've always been told I had anxiety, depression. So the notion that I'm having mm-hmm. thoughts about my appearance was more of like, I took it as fact, right? So I... I essentially was like, I am ugly. Like I am different looking than other people. Like it's, I'm never going to have that relationship or that life. And people look at me as this like different looking person. And so, so that was the race I was in until I got this diagnosis and was like, Oh, like these are distorted thoughts. Like you, you might not know what it is that you look like, but what you're describing, nobody else is seeing. And I think a huge, actually, which I didn't talk a huge, change for me was the summer going into my senior year of college where I did an internship and I had a lot of male attention, which I didn't really have before. And it threw like my brain off. Like I was just like, wait a second, I'm this ugly duckling that doesn't deserve. Then all of a sudden I get like four guys that are like working in the entertainment industry, like all eyes on me. And I felt so overwhelmed. And my brain was just like, what is this about? Like, I thought you we're like this different person. And then all of a sudden getting this attention. And ironically, that was the summer before I ended up taking the entire semester off because I kind of crashed and burned. And I think it was just overwhelming for me. I would say that, like I said, when I got the diagnosis, I just, I stopped the race of like acting like I was okay. And I was just like, I have this disorder. So like I could just take a breather and the problem is, is that if you, if you allow body dysmorphic disorder, if you allow your intrusive thoughts about what you see to define you, then you don't essentially live life. And so that was a brief moment. And then I had to get into the therapy to begin to rebuild my life and to begin to understand like 
the thoughts that I'm feeling were distorted and that, I mean, even in the worst scenario, it's like, even if people are objectively unattractive, like that should never tell a person, like you shouldn't be living your life. And I think that's a, like, that was a, that's something I talk about with clients all the time. It's like, one, in order to meet diagnostic criteria for body dysmorphic disorder, no one sees what you see. But two, objectively, people are unattractive all the time and living their best life. And they're not saying when my skin clears or when I lose weight, then I'm going to live. And that's what you'll hear people with BDD. It's not just they don't see body images like I don't love what I see in certain aspects of myself, but they're not stopping living. People with BDD are like not getting fixated on these like flaws they see that no one else sees and say, you know what? I'm not going to go out of my house. I'm not going to go to work. I'm not going to date. I'm not going to step up. Mm-hmm. And so there, the, the real defining factor is, is, is fun, daily functioning. And that is a huge defining factor in just body image concerns and BDD is, is the level of functioning. And also, if there really is something to be concerned with, because people with BDD, like I said, it's minor or non-existent to the point where no one sees it. So people just can't, understand, which makes it harder for a person with BDD because they're trying to explain it. And the person's just like, I do not see what you see. How does this cause such havoc in your life? Because the person can't understand it. That is a beautiful definition. I think that makes it so, so clear. Um, You know, again, like women and men, we all struggle with, you know, our body and our body image and things we don't like and things we do like. But when you put it like that, it really, really is is very clear, like what BDD is, what body image concerns are. Um, Something that I I feel like I want to share because it's something it's taken like 41 years to get to um, is that I've actually been starting to really love my own body more recently. And it's funny how like I kind of like lost some weight recently, just very naturally. I wasn't trying it just like my body got really happy and was like, cool, we're just going to like lose some weight just because my nervous system calmed down. I was like, great. And it was so interesting to like lose a little bit of weight and feel for the first time like, oh, I really love my body the way it looks now. And I think about the weight I am now versus, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been like, oh my gosh, that looks awful or I look huge or whatever. And I'm like, oh wow, I feel so grateful that my body is happy and it looks the way it does. And like, I'm so okay with the number. Like everything is so, it's more like a place of gratitude, but it's just so hard. You know, people really beat themselves up. And this is again, body image concerns, obviously not BDD right here. Sure, But you know, we all are so guilty of beating ourselves up because of something we think we see, but it isn't there if it's BDD or if it's more body image where we like think we look so fat or so this or so that. But, you know, it's been nice to actually like look at myself and be like, okay, cool. I'm always going to have a little tiny bit of like pudge on my stomach. I really don't care. Like it's fine. Like in the grand spectrum, like I'm fine. And I'm like really happy my body's healthy. And she's like, responding well to me. And it was just, it was just nice to actually like, every time I look in the mirror, I'm like, okay, whatever. Like I am really happy with what I'm seeing finally. Ugh. And I think that's amazing. And I, and, and, and I think that's also part of, as we get older, we start to really appreciate ourselves, our body, and we start to kind of appreciate our experience and our life experience. And I think 
it's, I think naturally, and I would like to see it at a younger age, but I think naturally as we kind of come into our own, as we get older, we're both in our forties. I think we kind of are just coming with this attitude of like, this is you, like, Mm -hmm. this is me. Like we got to love ourselves and we have to be okay. And like, you know, whatever you believe in, whether it's a higher being or God or anything, it's like, they created this body and like, be grateful. And it's like, we are here today. And I think just in general, also like getting older, like you start to be like, you know, you don't compare as much, you know, you're kind of, even if you're comparing, you're kind of, you've been in this body long enough where you're just like, I know me now. Yeah. I love me. I know me flaws and all I respect. I validate all your experiences. And I think that's beautiful. I think what you're saying is beautiful. And I love how you talked about like 10 years ago, that number. And I think that's where we have to stop fixating on those things because it does shift and change as we get older. You know, it's like, I mean, I think back, and again, I have body dysmorphic disorder, so it's a little bit different, but it's like, that's the only, I only know how to be in the moment as I continue to age, because I know that if I was to futurize what I'm going to look like, like 60, it can feel very overwhelming to me. But obviously as we begin to get older, things change. I mean, I, I was pregnant, so I have some melasma and you know, my body never fully returned. And, but yet I come from a place of like, I gave life to my son. And so like, you know, and it's okay. Like I don't need, and I think that you know, for me, weight was never an issue. So for me, being able to like embrace my body, and I think that's beautiful what you've had. And I, and I hope more people can begin to really like come into their own. And like I said, I would love it at an earlier age, right? Because I feel like we're right. Like when we're in our 20s and even our 30s, we're just like, we're just beating ourselves off. Like we're not enough. We're not there yet. And it's like, I think we're just, I think we're slightly exhausted when we come into the forties and we're just like, we're here to stay here. Like we're good. Yeah. Let's, let's love ourselves. Like this is our only body. Like let's just make it what it can be. Like, and I think, you know, I would like to see more of that because again, I mean, look, whatever people choose to do with procedures is on them, but it's just, it's just constant in our face. Like, it's just enough. Like, is that all that we are? Is that all we are yes. as humans? Oh God. I feel so strongly about that too. Like really, uh, I, I'm only just going to speak to women. I'm sorry. Like, I don't want to speak to men, but it's just, it feels that way for so long that you are what you look like. And yeah. especially having grown up in LA, it is so much about, I will only date you because you are beautiful or I want a beautiful wife or a beautiful girlfriend or whatever it is. And it's just like, I, you know, again, this is just me personally speaking, my own journey, but like, honestly, like I'm in a happy relationship now, but before then I really had to take some time to be like, listen, I am so happy alone and this is what it is. And it's like, you better like who I am versus what I look like, because I'm not going to be with someone just because I look beautiful to them. Like, okay, I want to look beautiful to them, of course, obviously, but like, you've got to really like me. And that is so, oh man, you're so right. You're so exhausted coming into your forties. It's like, oh my yeah, God. I, mean, I guess just, that's the only way to, uh, to kind of explain why is you kind it. of, right. <laughs> you're, you're just so like, tired. Oh yeah. But I think if we think about it, and I think if we can go backwards, especially now, like in our forties and looking back, it's like, why would we want to be with someone who didn't mm. want to be with us just for us? Like, like, if you think about it, 
what would be sustainable in that relationship if it was all about appearance? Like what would be there? Some of like the worst men I've ever met have been just people that I could look at. And as soon as they open their mouth, I'm like, please close it. Like, oh my God, yes. Right? And I'm just like, you ruined it all for me. Like, so I feel like I could say this because he would never be listening to this podcast. So I worked in, I worked in the school system out in in like an outskirt of LA and like, it was not a place where you would find any, anybody good looking. And he was a very good, he was a, one of my principals at one of the schools I worked at. I was a guidance counselor. So hot, like very good looking. Mm-hmm. As soon as he opened his mouth, I was like, you ruined it for me. Close it. I can never see you like the way you like. So to me, I do think like, you know, appearance is part of it, but I also think personality, emotional intelligence, like, which I feel like we never realize. Please, everyone, if you're listening to this podcast, emotional intelligence from the get-go. Like, do yeah. we not, we somehow, like, I only realize that in my 40s, hence my ex-fiance are, and I are no longer together because I never realized that I needed, like, the emotional, like, what I needed. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that goes into a whole other area of, like, you know, feeling like, sometimes we just want to be in a relationship just to be in a relationship and we don't necessarily, you know, know what it is we're looking for. And I think that's awesome that you said you like took time for yourself. Cause I bet you that's part of the reason you're in the relationship you're in right now is because Absolutely. you did take that time and you're like, okay, this is what I need. This is what I want. And you're like, okay, now I'm ready. And you know, you're so strong in what you want and who you are that you're willing to leave a relationship too, if it's not working out. Like, whereas when you're younger, you're just like, please love me. Just love me. Uh, you know, especially if they're, I know, oh, it's awful. But I, I just, you know, there's so much to be said in, on this topic of body image concerns and BDD. Um, and I'm just really glad that you've really explained it so well. I think that listeners are absolutely going to come out with this and be like, oh, wait, I don't actually have BDD. Okay. I actually have more like body image issues or Maybe they're like, wow, I didn't realize I did have BDD or might. <laughs> right. And I do think it's important because again, it's like what, what you said kind of at the beginning of the podcast is this notion of when people say like, I have OCD and they don't. And I think, you know, so the definition that, you know, the word is body dysmorphic disorder. People use body dysmorphia. And, and the truth is, is I really feel very strongly like if you were to like now look that up, like go like after we speak and go on like Instagram and put in like that and look at what most people are dealing with body image. And so I think that's what, you know, what I always wanted to share is like a person with this disorder is going to have disruption and functioning. You're going to see it across the spectrum with, you know, in terms of work, schooling, uh, social life, romantic life, family life, like it's going to hit all facets. You don't necessarily see that with body image. It's going to affect you and how you feel, but not to that extent. Like, and I think that's, you know, the very big difference. And so, you know, as someone who has this disorder, as someone who treats it, as someone who speaks on it, I feel the importance to say that because when people are like, everybody has it and it's like, everybody struggles with body image. Yeah, that I agree with. Everybody struggles from one extreme to the other and someone could be, but not everybody struggles with, body dysmorphic disorder. And I think that's something, because again, if we all come into this, then the people, what do we say to the people that want to die? What do we say to the people that don't want to be here? Because that's not what most people with body image feel. So I feel like we have to make this distinction 
for the per it's really for the person that struggles. So they know where they need to go. Do they need to get help? Do they need to be aware of things? Do they need to seek out support with a psychiatrist or a therapist? Or, you know, and that's I think the reason. I think, I think body image, like I said, is is so difficult in today's day and age, but it it definitely differs because you'll see people being like, I don't love how I look, and you'll be like, Oh, I it looks fine, and you may not see it, but yeah. they're not stopping like taking the photo. They're not stopping going out. Whereas the person with BDD isn't even walking out their front door. So I think that's like the major difference. And I, you know, like I said, the same thing you said with the notion of like, you know, a person, you know, saying that they have OCD and it's like, they don't have it. I, you know, and, and, and again, I just think it's important because we never want the sufferer to feel like, wait a second, this person saying they have body dysmorphic disorder and they're living their best life, wait, I don't belong here, then there's something else that's really wrong with me. So I think that's always where I come from as to wanting to give that distinction so people truly understand. Yeah. Um, and just to to piggyback on that, I did a reel um, earlier this year about, you know, jumping to conclusions with other people when you're like, oh, that person is a, you know, a narcissist or has schizophrenia or whatever. You like you can't just throw those terms out like that yeah. to another person. I mean, it's really, really dangerous and it's really harmful. And it's it's lessening basically what you're saying, the people who actually do have those and who are dealing with, you know, those disorders, which are not a fun way to live life. It's tough, you know? So um so I'm, I'm glad that you're you're saying that too as a as another person looking on it. Just this has been a great conversation. I have so many more questions and we'll just we should do this again. <laughs> I would love to. Thank you. So, I mean, thank you so much for having this conversation, for being honest. I love that, you know, how open you are. And I also love that you were able to say, not that I have a I'm just saying, I guess as a therapist, but you love your body. And I think that's freaking awesome. And regardless of the fact that I have BDD, I love when people love themselves because I think it's freaking empowering and amazing. And more people, men, women across the gender need to love themselves, mm-hmm. the good, the bad. And just like, like I said, we are all unique. And that is what makes us beautiful as human beings. Yeah. Let's, we want to stay that way. We don't yeah. all want to morph into the AI world. Like yeah. that doesn't, that doesn't do anything for us. Mm-mm. And it's true. I mean, if we all sit back right now and just think about the people that you love, whether it's romantic or familial or your friends or whatever, think about the people you actually really love. Do you love them because they look perfect? Right. No, you don't. <laughs> like right. Nobody does. You love them because of who they are. Right. And that's it. And so they love you for who you are too. And I think that that's where it really comes down to it, you know? No, I agree. And I think that's what, you know, most people need to start to think, you know, again, I think just whether it's friendships or intimate relationships or even family, it's like, does appearance, is that going to be like what bonds you? I don't really think so. That may, you know, in a relationship, a romantic relationship, maybe initially the attraction, but at the end of the day, that's definitely not something. And I'm sure you could agree with that. And Mm -hmm. I know for me in like 20 plus years that I've been dating, like, that has not been what has maintained a successful relationship. Oh my God. So it's definitely just based on attraction. That can only last for so long. And then you're just like, what's next? Because this is not yeah. going to work. Or it could be the opposite. I mean, obviously, I always say, 
say this, you know, and I know we're out of time, but really quickly is like, we're not going to swipe right on the possibility of somebody, right? So we're not swiping right on like, let's hope they have a great personality. Let's hope like they're killing it. In the real world, we may give ourselves the opportunity to meet that type of person. But online, unfortunately, we don't. Yeah. But the reality is, I bet you the people we've met more organically, or I can definitely say that for myself when I was younger before like the dating apps, like mm-hmm. if I was to ever see them on the app, it would have been left. But like, guess what? They were freaking awesome in real yeah. life. But we don't, like I said, unfortunately, and I don't think that's going to change. We're not swiping right on the hope of like the personality and like all of that. But that's, I think, what we miss about like meeting people more organically is that we probably would be meeting a lot more different people if we just met them naturally, right? Gosh, we should do an episode on that because that is so, so true. Oh my gosh. Robin, tell people how they can find you because you'll be back on the podcast. (laughs) Okay. So you can find me at BDD OCD Therapist on Instagram. You can come on my website at rlstern.com. Uh, rlsterntherapy.com. And I am here to answer all questions related. I do work with people with OCD and body-focused repetitive behaviors like hair pulling, skin picking, um, body dysmorphic disorder, body image concerns, and disordered eating. And I always welcome questions and just, you know, I'm always available if you need referrals in your area or just, you know, you know, always having these conversations. Because at the end of the day, The goal is just for all of us to find a way to live our best life in the thick of what we deal with day to day. And, you know, especially to women, it's always good to empower each other and to, you know, feel good. And like I said, I think in your 40s, you get there, but I would love, I know I tell my younger version of myself, I would have loved to gotten there sooner, you know? And I think that's like the one message I always would want to give people. Like, you don't have to wait till you're 40 to realize like you can let go of a lot of your stuff like you can get there sooner so hopefully this you know these types of conversations can allow people to come into their own a little bit more comfortably and let go of so much you know noise that's around them thank you so much thank you it was so lovely meeting you thanks so much for listening to the podcast remember sharing is caring Make sure to rate the podcast and leave a review. We really rely on this to help get the podcast out there. Follow us for daily updates on myself and the podcast at That Girl the Podcast and at Jackie Brubaker on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and our Patreon page. While you're at it, make sure to check out my new wellness website, loveyoueveenmore.com. If you're wanting to dig into developing more self-worth, be healthier about relationships, and learn how to date smarter, go to loveyoueveenmore.com and follow us on Instagram at loveyoueveenmore.